God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. You are so good. Would you just take control of the service and Holy Spirit, by your grace, work in me and through me. Free, free me from any distracting thoughts and uh, take a hold of my heart and ideas and, and, and thoughts and, and my, my tongue and my mind and, and just use me by your grace. We want to hear a word from you, God, so speak through me. So, Lord, I pray also, Lord, for, for those who are watching online, I pray that every soul that's watching online, uh, you know the circumstances around them watching this, this uh, message, and I pray that you speak to them, God, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God is good, isn't he? God is good. You know, when you look, at, uh, when you look in the New Testament, there's a new race that's created. You know what it's called? It's called those people who are in Christ, the whole new race. And uh, these are people who have put their faith in Jesus. These are people who are learning to live a God-honoring life and have accepted Jesus Christ as a savior and has accepted Christ as the forgiver of their life. And now they're choosing to live in this world, but they're learning what it means to be in Christ Jesus. And that changes everything. You know, we're in this series that used to be me. And today, um, so way back here, we're looking at insecurity. Insecure is what the, the, it says up there. But uh, anybody insecure in the house? Uh, insecurity can be defined like this. Lack of confidence or assurance, self-doubt. Lack of confidence or, or assurance or self-doubt. Um, I discovered this. You know, you know, how many of you have a social media, you know, app or something just to use, Snapchat, Instagram, or whatever it is. Did you know there are over 100 million users that have some version of Facetune on their phones? How many of you know what Facetune is? Raise, raise your hand. Some of you aren't even, you know, the younger ones. Pastor Nick, you probably know what Facetune is. It's, it's this app that makes you look younger. So like you can, you can take a picture of yourself and it'll take away the wrinkles and all of the blemishes. And it's really, really pretty amazing. And in uh, um, a new study, check this out, 90% of young women reported using filters on editing their photos to appear as if they had whiter teeth weighed less, had a different nose, or other physical changes. Poor nose is always getting picked on. Um, another study on a dating app, this is important to know if you're, if you're single, 84% of singles want more authenticity in dating, and they think these photo filters should be banned. Because, you know, I, I can't imagine they go out on a date, and they meet the guy, that, and like, whoa, you know, that's not what I saw on my screen. What happened to that guy? He's gone. Have you ever seen business profile headshots? And you see these really cool headshots in LinkedIn or website or whatever it is, and, and they look so good. And then you meet them in person, and you think, you know, where's your brother? You know, who, who are you? Who are you? I know you, you can't be that same guy. Or gal, you look totally different. See, we can feel insecure about a lot of things. We can feel insecure about others. We can feel insecure about professionals, uh, insecure about that person who has a corner office, insecure about the person, the way they dress, or the car they drive, or whatever it is. Or you can be insecure about a friend. You know, they're the popular ones, and, and they're the ones that everyone likes to hang out with, and they're the ones that are at the party, and, and they're, they're the cool ones. But there's also, like, jobs insecurities, right? You can be job insecurity or body image insecurity or social insecurity, anxiety. But here are seven signs that you might be insecure. Seven signs you might be insecure. Number one, you get defensive when people point out your shortcomings. Anybody struggle with that? It's just, you, you just uh, don't like it if someone talks about your shortcomings, and you just get upset pretty quickly. That's a sign of insecurity. Um, number two is this. You want people to know how important you are. You're constantly you know, letting them know your resume and letting them know your accomplishments and letting them know all the things that you've done, and you want people to know you are very important, and, and you kind of uh, manipulate the conversation a little bit to help them understand that. Or number three is this. Uh, you feel inferior around successful people. So you, you, around successful people, you, you just aren't comfortable. It just, it's hard for you to be around them. Uh, and four is pretty popular. You want to please others. You want to please others. It's really hard when you're with a group like this and you say, where do you want to go out to eat? 
And you can stand there for a long time saying, no, I, I don't know. We wouldn't, we wouldn't everyone would be happy. Uh, number five is this. You feel hurt if you get left out. Anyone feel hurt? You get left out. You're not invited to the party. You're not invited to the house. You're not invited to whatever. And you find out that they met without you. And you're hurt. And you're angry right there. It's just that easy. Uh, number six is this. You don't believe you're good enough. You're constantly saying things that are bringing yourself down. Somebody says a compliment to you, and it's hard for you to take it. You know, you're just constantly thinking, you know what, I'm not that great. And you know what, I, I didn't do very well at, it at all. And I didn't do, you know, you just, you're just have comments that, that bring yourself down. You don't believe you're good enough. And, and the last one, number seven, is you don't like meeting new people. It's hard for you to be around people. You don't want to be around people. It's just difficult. The truth is, all of us have had some variations of insecurity. All of us, myself included. All of us have. You know, the world says the way you, the way you, you battle insecurity is you think positive thoughts about yourself and you embrace yourself and you celebrate your own differences and you just be you. Well, that's all good, but when you look at the Bible and you look at God, what God has to say about insecurity, it's not about your strength. It's about his strength. And it's not about your perspective. It's about how God sees you completely different. It's not about you relying on your own intellect. It's not about you mustering up willpower every day and, and you like, okay, I'm not going to be frustrated. Okay, I'm not going to, you know, it's not about you. It's about being in Christ Jesus and what that means. It's about learning to walk with God and seeing yourself through the eyes of God. I want to share with you a story about a guy who was incredibly insecure, incredibly insecure. And uh, to lead up to this guy, um, I want to I give you a little background. Now, we're going to look at the book of Judges. The book of Judges. It's a beautiful book. Um, this book, last week we talked about Joshua entering, the, entering Canaan. And he went in and, and his marching orders was to conquer giants and take on new land. And, and that was the land God had for them. Well, Joshua dies... And when Joshua dies, God raises up these, these judges. So the book of Judges comes, you can think of it as a sequel. It comes right after the book of Joshua, right after the book of Joshua. And it starts with the death of Joshua. And really, the book of Judges is just a lot of failures. It's a lot of fails. Um, the name uh, comes from these types of leaders, these judges. Um, judges chapter 2, verse 16 says this. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. So the, the word judge literally means deliverer, means deliverer in Hebrew. That's what, that's what a judge is. Not, don't think of a courtroom judge. Um, these judges were regional and political and military leaders. There's 12 judges that you read about in the book of Judges. The most popular judge, you might know this guy, his name is Samson. Samson. Uh, he's the most popular guy because he has all the hair and all the women and all that good stuff. But anyway, uh, in, gen in chapters 3 through 16 of Judges, all you see is this downward spiral of Israel. And, and you see them like they turn to God and then things get better and then they forget God and then they get into trouble and then they turn to God and things get better and then they forget God and then they get into trouble and then they turn to God and you just see this pattern from Judges chapter 3 to chapter 16 and you see Israel go through this. Well, chapter 6, here it is, Judges chapter 6, uh, this is one of the battles that was happening. It says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. So these Midianites were nomadic people. Uh, these Midianites were different from any other enemy because they were seasonal. They would only attack Israel during harvest time. They wanted the crops 
of the Israelites. That's what they wanted. But there were so, so many in chapter 7, it says they were like swarms of locusts. That's what it says. In fact, they were a long-range military threat because they were known to travel on camels as much as 100 miles every day. 100 miles every day. These Midianites, uh, when they showed up to Israel, it's estimated there were approximately 135,000 soldiers. 135,000. And they showed up, and, and now they're oppressing Israel again. And can you imagine 135,000 soldiers the city of Thornton, as of 2019, the population was 136,000, just a little bit over 136,000. So you can imagine all the residents of the city of Thornton, like talking about you on the neighborhood app or something, I don't know. But it's just like, you are the target of everyone, and that's what was happening here. So they have a Midianite problem. I feel like saying a termite, a termite problem. They have a Midianite problem. So, so God decides to use a guy that nobody else expects. God decides to raise up a judge that nobody else would say, I want to pick you first, like when you're at school and you're picking teams. God decides to call a guy that he doesn't expect to be called out. He's insecure. The way he sees himself is completely different from the way God sees him. He's the fifth judge. The fifth judge, anybody know his name? Gideon. Gideon. This is a famous picture of Gideon in battle with the Midianites. But before this picture, you need to understand how God just works with Gideon. If you're someone who struggles a little bit with insecurity, you're going to love this. If you struggle with seeing yourself through God's eyes, you're going to love this. So here it is. Judges chapter 6, verse 7. Here it comes. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. You get the impression when God talks to people, he's constantly reminding them of what he has done. Like, don't you remember what God did in the past? Don't you remember how God took care of you when you didn't have a job? Don't you remember what happened when you prayed that prayer? Don't you remember that time when you were going through a rough time? Don't you remember that thing that you were worried about? Don't you remember? And you see this in Scripture. He's saying, don't you remember how God delivered Egypt? He delivered you from Egypt? Don't you remember that? Verse 10, he says, I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. So Israel actually went into the promised land and part of their marching orders was to conquer these, these uh, other giants and, and other enemies and this kind of thing. But, but one, one big commandment was attached to that was God didn't want them to pick up bad habits from these other nations. They were pagans. And God didn't want them to go in and pick up their bad habits. And that's what was happening as Israel started prostituting themselves, and, and they started compromising their faith and obedience to God. Verse 11 says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at, at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizur. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. Remember, they're, they're, they're going after crops. So he's hiding the wheat and hiding the grain. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Let's say that out loud. Mighty hero, Lord is with you. So Gideon is not getting a sword and he's not getting a shield. He's not making a spear. He's hiding this, this grain. He's hiding it from the Midianites. So he's in this mode where I'm going, I have to protect myself. I have to protect my family. And he's in a defense mode. He's not in an offense mode. He's in a defense. And he's hiding things and he's doing that. And this angel visits him and says, says mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Well, that's about the farthest thing that Gideon expected to hear. Didn't expect to hear. In fact, the words mighty hero literally means mighty warrior or mighty man of valor. 
It's like you're, you're, in, you're, you're in a difficult situation and God just calls you out and says, mighty hero. You know, you're like, I don't feel like a mighty hero. You know what I, mean? I don't feel like I'm victorious. I don't feel like I'm overcoming. I don't feel like things are great. I don't feel like I'm in control. I don't feel it. And then God says, no, 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 no. But I see you. I see you and you're a mighty hero. You got to hear this. Secure people see themselves through God's eyes. Secure people See themselves through God's eyes. Well, the best way to do that is to spend time in God's word. The more you read scripture, the more secure you're going to be. The more you read the Bible, the more you'll see God's will for your life. You spend time and you learn to hear the voice of God in your life. And the more you read scripture, you will see things differently. You will look at people differently, family, friends, whatever it is. When God called him mighty hero, he was doing something. It was a future title. Gideon didn't see himself as a mighty hero. Gideon lacked that confidence and he was hiding grain, um, but God saw him in a different way. And I want you to hear this. Your greatest potential includes God's spirit in you. When God said mighty hero to Gideon, that was a future mission that Gideon would be involved with that included the spirit of God working through Gideon. Did you hear that? It was a future position that included Gideon being used by God and God's spirit working before him and under those circumstances with the spirit of God working in Gideon and before Gideon, he was a mighty hero. If that's true, then your greatest potential is when the Spirit of God is working in you and through you. Did you hear that? Your greatest potential is when the Spirit of God is working in you and through you because that's when supernatural results happen. That's when things happen that just don't make any sense and you know it's not your strength. You know it's not your, it's about you. You know that. So you look at yourself and you're like, there's no way I can do this. There's no way I could, there's no way I could be that way. But when the spirit of God works in you and through you and transforms you, all of a sudden you're willing to do things that you never dreamed you'd be willing to do. You're willing to stand before people when you, you tip, before you were afraid of being with people, but now you're willing to stand right in front of them and you're willing to speak with boldness. And you say things like, gosh, I didn't know I had that in me. I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know God could use me like that in that classroom. I didn't know God could use me like that with those teens. I didn't know God could use me like that in a Bible study. I didn't know God could use me like that on a stage. I didn't know God could use me like that with a stranger. I had no idea. But when the Spirit of God enters you and you say, God, have your way in my life, all of a sudden you get a new title, Mighty warrior. You know what I'm talking about? A mighty warrior. And so God is calling Gideon something that is a future position and it involves the spirit of God. Well, Gideon doesn't get this. You know, when you feel insecure about something, one of the good questions to ask is, why do I feel insecure about this? Why does it bother me? Why am I uncomfortable around that person? Why am I uncomfortable because I wasn't invited? Why am I uncomfortable? Well, that's a really good thing to probe. Insecurity is such a stealth feeling. Sometimes you could be insecure and live with that insecurity and not even realize you're living with insecurity. You might even say, oh, it's just me or whatever it might be or, or, or blame others, but, but it's such a stealth thing. In God's eyes, in God's eyes, because God looks at people differently. First Samuel chapter 16, verse seven says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance. He's talking about David or height for every, every excuse me, talking about Saul. Don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God always looks at the heart. He always looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the clothes or the car or the house or the position. He looks at the heart. The greatest person in your company could be pushing a broom. The greatest person in the company. The greatest person at school could be the one that everyone overlooks. Under God's eyes, God looks at the heart. See, secure people care more about what God thinks than what others think. Secure people always care more about what God thinks than what other, others think. It's easy for us to compare. 
isn't it? I, I wish I could say as adults we grow out of it, but we don't. We don't. We just camouflage it a little bit and put on a smile, but we don't, we don't really. Um, Mark Batterson said this. I went to Mark's church in D.C. many years ago, but he said this. Pride is a byproduct of insecurity. And the more insecure a person is, the more monuments they need to build. There is a fine line between thy kingdom come and my kingdom come. If you cross the line, your relationship with God is self-serving. You aren't serving God. You are using God. You aren't building altars to God. You are building monuments to yourself. These some people, even in the church world, you, you want to build monuments to say, look at me. Pastors are guilty of this. Pastors can look at other pastors and say, wow, look at that church. Boy, they're a big church, and look at all the things they're doing, and gosh, we're a small church, or whatever it is. And, and, and you can, even in the ministry world, and then you start, you can do things with the wrong motives and say, look at this monument I built when God just wants you to, to be a living sacrifice for him and trust him with everything and die to yourself and live for him. Did you notice in verse 12 what the angel told Gideon? The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with who? You see that personal, that pronoun there? You. The angel is telling Gideon, the Lord is with you. Now look at verse 13. Look at Gideon's response. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with, what pronoun? Why has all this happened to, to who? That's not, what, that's not what, what the angel said. The angel said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon said, well, if the Lord is with us, then why has this happened to us? It was a conversation between the angel and Gideon. And this was about God wanting to use Gideon to do a great mission for the kingdom of God to demonstrate God's righteousness and power. But what Gideon did was he like, almost didn't hear what that angel said. He didn't hear what the Lord said. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Okay, I don't know what you're saying. You know what? If God's with us, then why is this happening to us? Do you see that problem? You versus us, that pronoun right there. God was trying to communicate to Gideon that he was the answer. He was the deliverer. All Gideon hears is us. He doesn't think he's in the lineup. He doesn't think he's an option at all. We can all be a Gideon. We can all be a Gideon. It's much easier for us to see the problem for the whole. It's harder to accept responsibility and take ownership, believing that it might be me. Isn't it? I mean, churches have problems all the times. We, and, and we can have a us mentality, or we could have a, a me mentality, you or us. You know, we need more volunteers to start this ministry. We should do this, and if the church did this, and that would be great, and if the church did this, and that would be really good, and, and, and the church should start this, and the church should stop this, and the church should, and, and they should do this, and they should do that, and they should do that. Do you hear what's happening? Do you hear that? That's all about us. None of that is involving you. Some of you need to hear this. You are God's answer. You are God's answer. It's not me. It's not someone else. You are God's answer. God wants to use you. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them that. Can you do that? And type that out in the chat you're watching online. God wants to use you. It's not about, oh, someone else should do this and someone else should do that and someone else and the problem is we and the problem is us and the problem is, no, the problem is you. You are the problem. Every person has a responsibility to be obedient to God. If you call yourself, 
if you cross that line of faith and you call yourself a Christian, well, then you want to be used like in a Gideon way, a supernatural way. And it's not about what everyone else is doing or is not doing. See, God didn't call you to sit in a church and be a judge of what you like or don't like about a service. That's not your calling in life. God called you because he wants to do something in you and he wants to work through you and he wants other people to come to know Jesus because of your faithfulness. That's the mission of being a Christian. It's the great commission right there. So don't hide behind us. Don't hide behind we. Don't hide behind them. Don't hide behind any of those things. When you hide behind us and we, you were putting the weight and blame on someone else and not you. See, growing churches, we'll just talk about churches a little bit. Growing churches are full of people who say, I'll do it. It's the only difference. They're full of people who say, I'll go for it. I'll try it out. That's what growing churches are full of people. And churches that aren't growing are full of people that say, Someone else will do it. Someone else will do it. The angel visits Gideon and says, Gideon, mighty hero, <laughs> mighty hero, you, God's going to use that. And then he says, oh, but you know what? Where, where, you haven't been with us? Where, you know, where are you at? Totally misses what the angel of the Lord is saying and even calls him mighty hero. See, God wants Gideon to see himself differently. God wants him to get a new identity. Um, the story of Gideon you read about in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. So I really encourage you to read that whole story. It's, it's phenomenal. It's just stupid. It's off the charts the way God uses Gideon. But when you look at the life of Gideon, the rest of chapter 6, 7, and 8, you know what God is doing? He's working inside of Gideon. He's like helping him to see himself through the eyes of God. That's what he's doing. He's like, I'm going to build you up. And God does this so much. It's like God builds the dream and he shares the dream, but he builds the dreamer at the same time. Like he shows you the dream, but he builds the dreamer at the same time. I've said this before, when I started Thorn Creek, I started with three people because I think that's all God could entrust me with. And that's how it started. But I'll tell you what, you know who's been the biggest project in this whole thing called Thorn Creek Church? We're gonna make 18 years. And you know who's been the biggest project for me? It's me. I'm the one who's just had to learn and grow and I'm still learning and growing and learning what it means to walk by faith and in step with the spirit of God and listening to God and, and all those things. You are the project. Sometimes we think, oh, I've got to get things in order before God can use me. I've got to get my life in order before God can use me. I've got to get my calendar in order before God can use me. I'll start being used by God after I finish this renovation or after this is done or after the kids are done or after this is done. God just wants to use you now. God's big enough to manage your calendar. He's big enough to manage circumstances and life and all of these things. So don't hide behind us and we. Don't do that. There's something incredibly powerful when you say, God, do whatever you want inside of me. And he does something in you and through you, and you have a front row seat, and you are keenly aware that he deserves all the glory. You are keenly aware that he is the one whose spirit is moving before you. Judges chapter 16, verse 13, here's Gideon. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites, the crop stealers. Then the Lord turned to him and said, oh, this is so good. Can we read that first few words out loud? Go with the strength you have. Say that one more time with me. Go with the strength you have. Now look, think about that. The strength you have plus the presence of God is enough. Did you hear that? The strength you have plus the presence of God is enough. 
You might think, I don't know, I'm, I'm just so tired. Have you been just exhausted? Oh, when you're exhausted, those are the best times God will use you. Those are the best times when you think like, I don't know how, I, I don't know if I have anything more in the tank, and God puts you in a situation. Go with the strength you have, and it's enough. Because the strength you have, plus the presence of God, is enough. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. God's telling Gideon, Gideon, wake up. God is sending you. You have nothing to worry about. I mean, like Gideon should have been like, okay, I'm going to (laughs) go. I'm ready to go right now. I mean, that's it. God's sending me? Well, what else is there to worry about? Why should I be anxious? And God tells him, I'm sending you. And here comes Gideon's questions, worries, anxieties, insecurities. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? You know, you know, some people just need to see the whole map before they take a step. You know what I mean? Some people are wired like that. I just need to see everything. I need to see all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted before I can take a step of faith. Well, Gideon says, um, how can I rescue Israel? And then he says this. Here, it's coming out. Here, here's his heart. Here, here's how he really feels about himself. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. Wow. My tribe is the weakest tribe out of all the tribes. And I'm the runt. I get to the pale last. There's nothing special about me. I'm the weakest of the weak of the family of the weakest. God, you have the wrong address. Why do you think God goes to the weakest of the weak of the weak? Why do you think God does that? Why do you think God says, okay, I'm going to go to the tribe that's the weakest, not the one that's most powerful, not the most influential. I'm going to go to the one that nobody else respects. I'm going to go to that weak tribe, and I'm going to find the guy who is hiding grain because of fear, and he's the weakest of the weak of the weak, and I'm going to use him to be a deliverer. Do you see the heart of God? God loves using what everyone else views as weakness. God loves using the insignificant, seemingly insignificant, the weakest, he loves using those people that everyone else thinks, no way, no way. Used a woman at the well. She wasn't a missionary. She wasn't a pastor. She had a reputation. And she becomes an incredible missionary in all of Samaria. Incredible. Nobody else saw that. The weakest of the weak. Like, God, why in the world are you choosing him? Why are you choosing her? There's nothing in him or her that I see that could be great or could be used. But God looks at people differently than the way we look at people. God looks at them and says, oh, I see something in you. God looks at some of you right now and says, oh, you have no idea what you could be doing for the kingdom of God. If you just said yes, and you let his spirit take over your life, if you became white hot in love with God, if you pursued his purpose with all your might, if you died to yourself and picked up that cross and followed him and said, God, you do whatever you, I want your will for my life, God, and no more excuses. Do whatever you want in me and through me. You have no idea. God can use you in great ways, greater ways than you ever imagined. Because that's what God does. He goes to the weakest of the weak and says, you're perfect. And he puts to shame the audience and says, you see, you see, God can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants. And wherever he wants, 
that's your God. You might think to yourself, I have no great heritage. There's no plaques hanging on walls about me or my family. There's no statue of me like Peyton Manning in front of a stadium or something like that. There's, there's, my descendants are pretty ordinary, nothing significant. And, and, and I don't have any gifts. I, I can't sing. I, I, I can't play an instrument. And I can't, you know, you might, that might be, and I want you to know you're perfect. Perfect. God has a plan for you. God has a plan with you. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against how many? One man. See, God is trying to give him a new perspective. Well, there's about 135,000 Midianites. And God is telling Gideon, look, I will be with you, and I'm sending you. And when you go into battle with these Midianites, all 135,000, they're going to be like one. Like one. Do you get it, Gideon? Do you get it? And he doesn't get it. He does not get it at all. You know what Gideon does? He thinks like us. Boy, you know what? I would do it if I had more money. If I had more money, then I would do it. Because money, money talks, right? If I had more money, give me, I need more green. Then I would, then, if I had more time, then I would do it. If I, I need more time, I need more money. God doesn't think like that at all. All God says, are you willing to be obedient to me? I just need a yes. Are you willing to trust me? Gideon is like being launched into like the Green Beret, and he's not a Green Beret at all. He doesn't understand that God's going to go before him. See, secure people focus on God's strength. Insecure people focus on their limitations. There's the difference. Secure people say, I'm going to lean on God and his strength, and I'm going to trust him. Insecure people, all they do is they focus on why they can't. Why they can't. Gideon struggles with this so much that he questions God like three times. Verse 17 says, Gideon replied, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. So now you look at Gideon and his insecurity is still bubbling inside of him. And now he's saying, okay, if you're really good with me, God, I want you to prove it to me. So first he makes this soup involving meat and, and, and bread and broth. And, and, and he says, all right, if this is really you, you know, do something with this. And then an angel touches it and it goes up in flames. And he's like, oh my goodness, it is you. And then another time he's like, okay, God, if you really want me to do this, I'm going to throw out this fleece. I'm going to throw it. It's a famous fleece. And he's going to throw it out on the ground. And he says, okay, if it's, if it's wet and the ground is dry, then I'll know this is your will. And, and, and the next morning, that's what happens. It's wet and the ground is dry. He's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Okay, let's switch it around, God. Third time. Okay, I'm going to throw it down again. This time, if it's, if it's dry and the ground is wet, then I'll know it's you, God. Wakes up and the ground and the, 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 the fleece is dry and the ground is wet. And he's like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, you see this in the chapter so much so right before he goes to battle with the Midianites, God just knows the way Gideon is wired. See, God knows sometimes you need a little help. <laughs> you know what I mean? God just knows some of you need a little help before you take a step of faith. We're all different. Some of you don't need much help. Others of you, you need to see the waves parting before you take a step. Just depends on your faith and your spiritual maturity. Really, it does. So even the fourth time you see is God says, God tells Gideon, look, I know you're about to go and, and take over the Midianites, but I, I know you're still shaking in your boots. I know you still don't believe. I already proved myself with the soup and the fleece, and you're still not there. 
you know what, just go ahead and send out a scout and you can overhear them talking about you and you can overhear them fearing you and you can overhear their worry about you and that'll be evidence that you're bigger than them and they should be afraid of you. That's what he does. He sends in a scout to go and just to make sure. It's like, I gotta be sure, I gotta be sure, I gotta be sure, but that I still wanna be called faith here. (laughs) See, God knows your insecurities. God knows what you need. Isn't it beautiful we have such a loving God that knows our insecurities and is so loving and patient and caring, he still wants to use us. Isn't that beautiful that when, he, when we run up and we have our, our reservations and we say, oh, we can't do this because of money, can't do this because of time, can't do this because of whatever, and God says, it's okay, I still want to use you and I'm going to help you along. That's the heart of God. And the first mission that God gives Gideon involved tearing down an altar. It was a pagan altar. And he said, go tear down this altar made for, for Baal. Tear it down. And verse 27 says, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night. Because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Have you ever done that? Like, God, I'm going to be obedient to you but I need to do it in a such, I, I, I'm really concerned about what they think about me, so I'm gonna do it at night to make sure I don't offend anyone, but I still want credit for being obedient to you, God. He did it at night, and God is so loving. That was his first mission. God is so loving. Or sometimes we're so concerned about the approval of others. Lisa Turker said this, and I love it. She said, live from the abundant place that you are loved, and you won't find yourself begging others for scraps of love. Isn't that good? That is so good. Live from this abundant place. And again, as you walk with the Lord, you discover his love for you, his grace and his mercy, and you become secure in that love, and and then you won't have a need for others' approval and, and their love and seeking scraps of that love. God will help you grow into the shoes of a mighty hero, of a mighty hero. When you look at the story and you read about it in chapter seven and you see Gideon and you see this whole thing, God's building up the dreamer. That's what he's doing. He's building up the dreamer. And you see him get to this place and and Gideon has 32,000 soldiers with him in Judges chapter seven, 32,000. And God says, "You, you you got too many. Remember, it's against 185,000 Midianites. 185,000. Gideon has 32,000. I, I, I think that would be a deficit. I think I would be concerned. Hey, no, 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 no. They got numbers. They got a lot of numbers. But God says, no, you've got too many. You have 32,000. And then he said, uh, Gideon, I want you to ask everyone, if anyone is afraid, they can go home and be with their wives and their children. You know how many went home? 22,000 went home. 22,000 said, peace out, I'm out of here. I don't need to be in this. I'll just let them take my crops. I don't need to be involved in this. And Gideon is left with 10,000 soldiers. 10,000. And then God says, it's still too many. 10,000. God says it's still too many. So he tells them, put them in two different groups. Put them in, you know, you might be familiar with this story. He says, put them in two different groups, 10,000. And he says, then go to this, to this creek. And there was this creek. And, and he says, okay, everybody get down. I want you to watch the way they drink water. And those who drink water like a dog put their mouth in the stream and just start lapping it up. Those people are going to go home. But those who reach into the stream with their hands and cup the stream with their water and drink like that, they can stay. They're going to be part. They're going to be your soldiers. He has 10,000. They go to a stream. You know how many get on all fours and lap up that water like a dog? 9,700. 9,700. And it was only 300 that put their hands in their and, and, and drank the water with their hands. Gideon has now 300 soldiers. 300. And he's going up against how many? 
135,000. And God says, okay, I think I can work with this now. And it's a beautiful story. You see those 300 and God uses them strategically. And all they have are clay pots and ram horns. And they go in the middle of the night and they surround the Midianites and they blow these horns and they crash, they break, and they smash these clay pots. And the Midianites freak out. And they turn against each other. And they're fearful, thinking there's a huge army around them. And they literally, they kill each other and they flee. Gideon never even has to enter. In fact, when you read it, you read the whole story, Gideon chases after the Midianites, the leaders, and everything. And he, as he's running, there's these other neighboring nations. And he says, hey, we're really hungry and thirsty. Can you help us out? And they said, no, we're not going to help you out. You guys are a bunch of Hebrews. All right, well, when I go and when I kill that guy, I'm going to come back and I'm going to kill you. And then he runs and then he finds someone else. And he says, hey, my, 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 my soldiers are hungry and thirsty. Can you give us something? And they, the next one says, no, we're not going to help you out. You're the Hebrews. We're not gonna, all right, well, when I go get the Midianites, I'm going to come back and I'm going to kill you. You see Gideon completely change. He has this boldness. All of a sudden, he's a great general and he's telling other, I mean, he just saw God move and he's telling other people, you know what, when I come back, I'm going to kick your tail and I'm going to kill you. And, I'm, and he just is this incredible confidence. That's what happens. That's what happens when you say, God, do whatever you want in me and through me. Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what being in Christ is. That's what it means. You know, the, the most secure person to ever walk this planet in history, you know what his name was? Jesus. He was the most secure person. I have to share this with you guys. John chapter 13. I read this, this just yesterday, and the Lord showed me the security of Jesus. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and, and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that beautiful? And verse 2 says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Do you see that? So Jesus is aware all spiritual authority has now been, it's all under him. He's been given all this power. So he got up from the meal. Remember, Judas is there. He took off his outer clothing, wrapped up a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Do you see how, who Jesus is? Jesus knows the hours come. And he's about to go to the cross. The time has come for him to go and be murdered. And he knows it's happening now. It's going to happen within the next few hours. It's going to happen. So the best thing Jesus thinks about is I'm going to wash my disciples' feet. Doesn't that just blow your mind? The way Jesus thinks? He knows all power and authority is his. He has pleased the Father. And he's about to die. And the best thing he can think about is, I'm going to go ahead and wash their feet. I want them to know I love them. Including the feet of the one whom the devil now entered, Judas. Do you see how secure Jesus is? Jesus didn't like flaunt and say, hey guys, this is your last chance. I'm about to be, I'm about to be sitting, I'm, I'm about to be the king of kings and lord of lords. And there's going to be fire coming out of my eyes and I'm going to be, glow I mean, uh, he didn't even talk like that. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wash their feet. I'm going to wash their feet. And even though he had the status that he could do whatever he wanted to, 
even call down a legion of angels. He was so secure in his status, he thought, oh, this is the best position to be in right here. I'm going to wash their feet. I want them to know what love looks like. And that's what Jesus does. See, the most secure people, even when they have status, even when they have position, even when they have influence, they're willing to clean the toilets and do whatever. I was talking to someone recently, and they're going to come in town, and they're going to help out, you know, in Christmas Eve services. And I said, hey, what are you willing to do? And she, she told me, oh, I'll do anything. I said, are you willing to scrub the toilets and make sure all the restrooms are clean before every service? She goes, oh, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Isn't that beautiful? It's made my heart just so... See, it, 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 in the root of all this, there's this pride. And pride says, it's about me. It's about me. But you look at Jesus, you look at Jesus, and, and he humbles himself with all the status, with all the glory, and he washes the feet of others. You know what I love about the story of Gideon? You see all of his insecurities, and you see the grace of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, that's the hall of fame, like faith chapter. If you make it in Hebrews chapter 11, you're, you're, you're in a special fraternity. People who were used by God and who had great faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. The writer says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of, there he is, Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Isn't that cool? Gideon is mentioned in the same breath of all the prophets. That's who God is. That's how he works. He's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. Well, I just believe there's a mighty hero in the house. I believe there's a mighty hero online. I believe there's someone here who God wants to use, someone who's not willing to say, you know what, I'm too old or I'm too young or there's whatever. God just wants to use you. Are you willing to let God use you any way he wants to? I'm going to challenge you to do something, guys. I'm going to say a prayer for you, but if you're willing, if you're willing to let God use you, any way he wants, would you stand up really quickly? You got five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. First one, Lord, look at you. God bless you. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, God, for those who stood up so quickly, Lord. I pray that they experienced your spirit in a way they never have before. I pray for everyone in the house and who's watching online. I pray, Lord, that we discover what it's like to be in Christ Jesus. We discover what it's like to walk in you and to be used by you. And we get our identity from you. May we be God pleasers and not people pleasers, Lord. May we care more about what you think than anyone else thinks. Thank you, God, for your grace and your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray all this. Amen, amen, amen.